Amen. All right, the book of James uh, is our, our text, uh, going to be our book for the next uh, several weeks. Sometimes when you're looking at the Bible, um, you, as a preacher, you can see maybe three or four verses to preach on. And then you start looking at all the verses in one particular book, and you realize you might be in the book for 45 Sundays. And then uh, I think about, well, maybe, this, maybe some mercy on the crowd here, uh, so that... Uh, so our approach will be about uh, larger chunks from the book of James, and uh, you can do a bit of work on your part, and that is that you could read the book of James uh, slowly and thoughtfully uh, as a family, as an individual, and uh, what a tremendous, tremendously rich, rich book. Um, uh, the, the phrase that James actually uses is a term called true religion. He uses the term true religion in his, in his epistle. <clears throat> Now, here at Trinity, we're not big fans of the term religion, because religion usually think, we think in terms of effort. We, we usually think in terms of someone trying to establish their relationship with God. And uh, usually religious activity will lead to some acceptance at some point down the road. And we were really opposed to that idea because the Bible doesn't, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that we are accepted, therefore we obey. It's not that we obey, and therefore we're accepted. And that is hard, hard to remember. Uh, but and if you're not a Christian here today, I want to make sure that is abundantly clear. When we use the word true religion, we'll use this a couple of different times, what we're really meaning is the devoted life, the life that's integrated, the life that is consistent, the true religion, the real deal. A popular word today is authentic. Actually comes from a counselor named Carl Rogers. Uh, uh, the, the, the striving for authenticity is a big thing in our modern world, trying to be authentic people. Well, that's what James was after. And uh, someone once said, we're not sure who has said it, but they said the, that, um, uh, let me make sure I get the quote right here. It's in, it's in our reflections here. Uh, Your religion is what you do when the sermon is over. So I, I think James would like that. Uh, Your religion is whatever you do when the sermon is over. Uh, when, I think of, when I think of true religion, when I think of what James is after, this integrated life, um, not a life that's compartmentalized where I'm sort of one thing on Sunday and I'm something different on Monday, but an integrated life, I think of a, uh, a part of California where I was part of a small team of students, I've shared this before, where we, during our college years, it was a, about a six-month period of time for me. We were helping uh, an inner-city church. Um, it was Evie Hill. I don't know if Evie Hill's still with us. Evie Hill, tremendous black preacher in the inner city there in Los Angeles area, south, southeast L.A., known as, known as Watts, California. And in 1965, Watts was infamous for uh, the Watts race, race riots that took place. And uh, so what I was part of a small team of students who went door-to-door... In Watts, four white kids, and uh, it was a great thing. We attended Evie Hill's church, some 800 people singing, like just extraordinary worship, wonderful, wonderful worship, and Evie Hill, this tremendous preacher. Remember, we were these four students who were these four white kids in the midst of this, this big church. Uh, we were the only white people there, let me just put it that way. And he leans over the pulpit and says, I think we have some visitors here. <laughs> and uh, 
that's us. It's us. No name tags, nothing. You can, doesn't mean I'm a visitor here. You know, you know who I am. So it was great. They loved us. And we went door to door trying to help a woman in the neighborhood who wanted to have a Bible study at her house with her neighbors. So we went door to door, and I, I wish I could remember her name. It's been a while. But our, our tagline, we knocked on the door and said, Mrs. So-and-so lives down the corner here. She would like to have a Bible study with her neighbors. Would you like to, would you like to be part of it? That was what we said. And um, so we sometimes had some success. People knew who she was. We had to kind of introduce her, and it was a, it was a good experience. It was a scary experience. But one time we knocked on a, a porch door, and there were some ladies back in there visiting. And we uh, introduced ourselves, and we said, well, we go to Evie Hills Church. And they said, oh, yeah, we go to, we go to Reverend Hills Church, yeah. And then I, either I said it or someone else said, they said, so, so you're all believers in Jesus here. And then there was this long pause, and then someone said, believers in Jesus? Come on in. Let me talk to you. And they all we brought us in. And they gave us a schooling on what it means to believe in Jesus. They were so delightful, shared lemonade with us, and we sat there on their porch. And uh, these ladies were in the midst of this not an easy place to live, at peace. They had true religion. It was an integrated, beautiful faith these young college kids were absorbing it, watching their lives, their joy. I, that was one of the great impressions of my college years. Not the professors, not the stuff I learned in class, but these ladies who talk with us on the porch about Christianity, about what Jesus meant to them. And as we think about these these today, we're going to look at some indicators that we sort of get it. Some indicators that we are we're getting true religion. We're getting we're getting the wholeness, I think that would be a good term, the wholeness that I saw in those women is the wholeness that Pastor James wants for his congregation. James is a book that might frustrate some of you who love perfect outlines, where you like that major point and the sub point and the little point. You're going to go crazy in James because he has topics that you wonder, well, how does that relate to that topic and that topic? And uh, many work hard to try and figure out why James is, he just has a burst of truth here, a burst of wisdom here, and he keeps moving. Some of the topics are expanded longer than others, but today we're going to look briefly at some topics he has strung together, and I think in these texts we have indicators. Let me just, let me just take a look at your outline, page 11, if that helps um, and, and feel free, uh, I won't be uh, offended, you can look right down at James the whole time, kind of flow, get the flow of it, I'll be up here just kind of walking us through it, but if you know what's really going on, James, James 2 through 4, verses two through, uh, 1 through 4, really it's 2 through 4, the joy, joy is going to be an indicator that you know what's really going on in the universe and in your life. And then another area, do you understand God's giving nature? If you understand that, then faith is going to be engaged in your life. Another area, if you understand your true identity, then you're going to care about your spiritual status. Your economic status is really not going to be that big of a deal for you. Another area, if you are growing in maturity, you're actually going to be owning your fallen desires, fallen impulses, fallen ways of living. 
And then finally, if you are able to see the big picture of what God is doing, then you will marvel at, at his good gifts that he has shared with you. So these are the concerns that are on James's heart as he thinks about it. He's a veteran pastor. He has heard from Christians. He's listened to them. He's aware of their needs. And he has sculpted these first, uh, this first theme, these first themes. It starts off with a very challenging statement. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. That is a classic. It's right up there with John 3.16, that James 1.2, consider it all joy, my brothers. And I committed it to, to memory years ago. Commit, uh, it all joy, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you would be perfect, lacking in nothing. Pretty impressive, isn't it? Well, here's the deal. As much as I know that passage, as much as I can draw it from memory at a stoplight or something, it always jars me. It always rocks my world because I am, I am, it's almost, it almost seems like James is insensitive to his, to his congregation. It's like, you just can't tell people that. People struggle. People have hardships. People have difficulties. And James, in his own way, just goes right to the heart. Something great is at work. Great purposes are underway. And if you understand that, it's going to affect your emotional life. And I think, oh, wow, okay, I guess so. And I have to remind myself and rework that in my mind continually. That's an indicator. Joy is an indicator that I'm understanding what's going on. Good purposes are underway in my life. Let me ask you, how are you responding to the trials in your life now? Everyone, all the people around you, struggling with something. We're struggling to find purpose. There's probably no greater discouraging thing than to go through something hard and then not, like, not understand what is the point of it, right? We are all searching for purpose. I learned recently, I didn't know this, that uh, next to the Bible, the Purpose Driven Life book uh, is the best, the, the, the most sold book in history. Did you, I, don't, I didn't know that. 37 million copies. Are people interested in purpose? Yeah. Uh, they, people want to know. Now, that book emphasizes the idea that there's a special purpose that we need to be figuring out about our life and our calling. James is not actually arguing that. He's saying there already is a great purpose underway, and it is, it is about the, the maturing of you, and, or his language, the perfecting of you. We call it sanctification in theological circles, right? We, we, we call it sanctification. That's a fancy word for growing in maturity. Count it all joy when you meet various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith, and that's the key thing, the testing of your faith is doing something. It's producing steadfastness. I had no idea, honestly, when I first started off in the Christian life and I heard words like perseverance or steadfastness and all that. I was just excited, running on a lot of spiritual adrenaline, just kind of just happy and moving fast and enjoying all kinds of things. I had no idea that as time goes on in chronology, in time, chronological time, I, I, I thought in terms of, I, I did not realize how difficult it would be to actually persevere. 
That strikes me as a challenge. It's a hard thing. And for some of you today, there may be something about just persevering, keep going, keeping going. And James is saying, good, beautiful purposes are at work. Steadfastness is one of the things God is working in us for our maturity. The famous English preacher Charles Spurgeon from uh, many years ago, he said, if you can't see his way past the tears, trust his heart. Trust God's heart. What is God's heart toward us? Pastor James tells us that there are good purposes underway. And he probably had seen in his time Christians disconnect. Disconnect with God's goodness and the trials they were going through. And it's easy to interpret the trials you're going through as some sort of message from God that uh, you don't have it together, uh, God is not pleased with you, uh, there's something, something wrong with you. And James is saying, no, the testing of your faith is actually a good thing. It is actually the trial is working good in you. John Piper great insight into this whole idea of what is life about? What are we supposed to learn from our trials? Life is not a straight line leading from one blessing to the next and then finally to heaven. I think that way. Life is a winding and troubled road. Switchback after switchback and the point of biblical stories like Joseph and Job and Esther and Ruth is to help us feel in our bones, not just in our heads, that God is for us in all these strange turns. Not in, God is not just showing up after the trouble and cleaning it up. He is plotting the course and managing the troubles with far-reaching purposes, there it is, for our good and for the glory of, of Jesus Christ. Growing in wholeness, trials, easy to preach on. It's sort of kind of a Sunday morning, kind of a glib, cliche kind of way of talking. And sometimes I've heard this James 1, 2 used in ways that are not all that kind uh, because we do struggle for joy. It wouldn't surprise me that as we meet in small groups and and, uh, men's studies or women's studies, as we gather We're struggling to find that joy. We're struggling to remember God's purposes. That's one of the key purposes of a worship service is just to begin again to remember, remember well. It's interesting. I think there is a connection with the next topic in James in verse 5 that if anyone anyone lacks wisdom, let him call out to God who gives generously. And I think the connection would be, yeah, how am I to understand this? How am I to understand this? And James is encouraging people to see God's giving nature in verses 5 through 8. Let me just read these for you, verses 5 through 8. If anyone of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no, no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Wow, okay. Uh, uh, is there some encouragement in this verse? 
There is, and James is, has a high bar for faith. He has a high bar for pure faith. And he's saying that God should be approached with a, with a grasp of his generous heart. And he looks at people without reproach. You see that in verse 5? God gives without reproach. This means that he's, he's not looking at how you messed up on Wednesday and saying, oh, no, 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 I will not give you wisdom because on Thursday because of how you lived on Wednesday. What, 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 he's, what he's saying is that God is not looking at us as a disappointment, finding faults in us, and then withholding good from us. I, we should all be thinking in terms of we are all blessed beyond our obedience. Um, if you think there's a direct connection between your, your blessings and your obedience, um, we need to talk. <laughs> um, because you, you, you have not fulfilled all that you should do. Uh, there is, it, you, it would be almost, if we thought we could obey God like that, it would be like us trying to jump from here to the moon. The standards of God from the heart, uh, what we should think and believe and love, and how, how we should love and uh, love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. What it is is that God is blessing us beyond our obedience. And James is encouraging his audience, his crowd, his congregation, think in terms of your trial, you need wisdom. God is generous in his giving of wisdom. He doesn't, find, he doesn't find fault. Are you reading something that, that gives you a deep, joyful understanding of God? Right now, do you have something? Certainly scripture would be key, but do you have something? Uh, I could recommend a book, a book or two for you. Are you reading something right now that is... Lifting your view of God, it's a, a big view of God, uh, we are all going to need something rich and deep and majestic. I encourage you to be doing that. Um, and that will, we all have doubts, right, in our, in our prayers. We all have doubts. But James is saying that a, a, a great view of God, faith will connect to that great view and we will begin to believe God can do anything, God will do anything that is according to his will, and we will be at peace with him, knowing him, and, uh, and resting, resting there. So this, this whole idea of spiritual wholeness is what James is after. A person who is sort of vacillating, not sure about God, not sure about God's generosity, not convinced, that's a person being tossed and back and forth like, like the waves. Unstable. This kind of leads us to the third indicator, indicator of wholeness, understanding our true identity. James comes right out the right out the right out the door with verses nine, ten, and eleven with a subject that kind of hits us. Kind of what what is this about? Let the let the person of lowly stance in life let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Look at verse nine. And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. 
James is driving uh, something pretty important here that our, our sense of stability in life. So I'll get back to the trials. Well, what makes you feel like you have true status and stability in life than what's in your pocketbook, what's in your checking account, what, what, how you doing? And that is like the indicator in our day and age of sort of stability and, and status. Well, James saw that in his day. And he, he, it sounds like he gets a little preachy here, right? He goes right at the, the poor person and says, you know, there's something about you that you should, you should take joy in. And, and what, he's, what he's not doing is saying that poor people have virtue by nature. Uh, the poor can be more fixated on money than people who have a lot of money. What he's saying is, is that the poor, in general, have a way of living that makes them look up. It makes them dependent. And they be, have become more used to this living. And this is more closely aligned with how a Christian should be thinking. And more the opposite of, 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 a Christian thinking, of Christian thinking is the wealthy person who is trusting in their wealth. And James gives this graphic illustration of flowers that fade. I have hibiscus. We have hibiscus uh, bushes in our, in our yard, and I'm so excited when they bloom. And how long does a hibiscus bloom last? One day. I'm so sad. It, just, it closes and falls on the ground. It's like this big dramatic, <clears throat> it's over. Yeah. It's so beautiful, and it's over, right? And that's such a... Such a, it's a, such an illustration for James about if you understand true spiritual status, you will not find your identity in your financial status. Right? Riches are fading. Wealthy people, embrace Christ and as your true core identity. Wealth is fading. Well, the next subject is quite intriguing as well. Uh, he moves on to the subject of maturity. Spiritual maturity. And uh, he reminds his crowd, verse, four, uh, verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Again, a theme in, with James. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Most likely not a literal crown, but uh, God's approbation. Uh, entrance into glory, God's ap- uh, approbation, meaning God's approval of, of one's, one's life, having withstood the testing on the earth well. And then look at verse 13. James must have heard this from his, his people. When, when they're experiencing enticements, when they're experiencing uh, temptations, listen to this, look at verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. It's quite a bold, quite a bold statement. In other words, God is in me. God is producing these things. And it's not fair. He's overwhelming me with these desires. And he says this, For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Well, how does temptation happen, Pastor James? Look at verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The image is from fishing, uh, a lure, chasing, chase, a fish chasing a lure. Each person has been enticed by something. And 
James had heard people try to blame God for this way of living, this uh, giving into temptations that God created within them. All right? And then James, not so fast. Uh, it actually is a product of your own desire. And to get this and to own this is actually very important for spiritual maturity. Mature, spiritually mature person is not blaming others. They're not outward in their focus of their problems. They are actually uh, have a lot to do, a lot of work on, their, on themselves. And everything, a decision we make, every word we say, everything we do is actually a result of some desire. And James had seen that people were short-circuiting their spiritual maturity and their spiritual growth by this sort of clever thought that was wrong. And, and James is saying, no, own it. Own these fallen desires, and these will be indicators that you are growing, you are growing in maturity. Now, uh, Really, uh, James is describing that sin needs to be uh, uh, tackled, uh, beat down, uh, uh, rustled to the ground, uh, taken taken seriously. He's saying, "Look, sin or it can it is motivated by by lust, enticements, desires, and these desires can come full bloom, and uh, and can actually lead to ultimately to to death." So we who are born again uh, are delivered from that, that, cycle, that, that, that realm of death, that, that world of death. We are, we've been given a new nature, and this new nature is within us. And the process is underway of fighting against these old things of our old self, our old man. The residual effects of sin are still within us. One last area of wholeness, growing in wholeness, uh, James talks in terms of God as the giver of good gifts. And this kind of is the crescendo, kind of the culmination of his opening thought here. And, and, and listen to this and, and be blessed by these beautiful words. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Something about the, the, the original audience, they were not able to, to trace where all goodness came from. They were somewhat confused. They experienced good things. They enjoyed life. And James is redirecting them to the same God who is overseeing the, tr- the troubles and difficulties. He's redirecting them to say, have a source for all goodness. Know what that source is. And it is God. He is the giver of all good gifts. Well, how does this relate to the overall theme of spiritual wholeness? Well, if you've ever been on a porch in the inner city of Los Angeles and you've seen people who have integrated this beautiful understanding of God into their life, there's a deep contentment, there's a peace, they know where good gifts come from, they love these good gifts, 
These good gifts don't have a lot to do with their uh, material status. These good gifts don't have a lot to do with how easy their life is. But they are touched, integrated, growing in this beautiful understanding of God as the source of, of constancy, of consistency. Like the sun is a constant source of light, so is God a constant source of what is good. Now for us today, as we celebrate the Lord's table, really what we're understanding is the whole of this life doesn't come because we just, we just got wise uh, or we just knew our Bibles well or had a lot of good information about how to live. The whole of this life we're talking about, the wholeness that comes from knowing God came because his son was willing to be crucified for us. That we could enjoy wholeness, he was broken on the cross. That we could enjoy an integrated life, always knowing the Father's blessing upon us. He cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? And so it is the wholeness that Jesus gives us that is the result of his work on the cross, you see. He gave his life for you to bring you to the goodness of the Father. That you can look at his life and the trials he went through and how good good was working in those trials. Ultimately, God had good purposes for those. And we now can embrace our trials and understand them more fully and grow in this integrated, true religion, joyful life. What a, what a beautiful thing God has done. Will you join me in prayer as we consider the Lord's table this morning?